Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella and today I'm joined by my friend and genius, Dr. Lauren Borden. Hey, Lauren, how are you? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. Ella. Thanks for having me. I'm setting the bar really high as we jump out of the gate here. Always. Lauren, where am I talking to you today? I'm coming at you from Brooklyn, New York. Lauren, will you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure. So everyone, thanks for having me. My name is Dr. Lauren Borden. I am a holistic leadership coach. I specialize in primarily working with women, but I don't discriminate by gender. It's just that most, mostly women are the ones who tend to seek out my services, but I'm a leadership coach who specializes in supporting people on the spiritual journey that is leadership and creating impact in this world. So I do that in a number of different ways, but really what I'm doing is, or my personal mission is really all about bringing um, intuition and consciousness to people so that they can deepen their relationship with themselves and actually create larger impacts in the world. Well, share a little bit of your origin story with us, because this is part of the reason that I want to talk to you. We're going to talk a lot about operating from our intuition and the impact that that's had on Lauren's life and on my life and on her work, obviously. And I don't know anyone else that I'd rather talk to about this bridge between the woo and the practical. So can you share a little bit about sort of your traditional training? Because you did not, you didn't necessarily start off as an intuitive coach. Is that fair? Not at all. Not a, uh, the opposite of that is what I was. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for asking that too. Cause it's my background's in leadership development and I have a PhD in something called industrial organizational psychology. That sounds sexy. Industrial organizational <laughs> psychology. Okay. That's got sexy. it. Um, I, I got my PhD and was really embedded in the research world and also in the corporate world. My specialty was in leadership and basically on how you use research-based principles to help leaders be more effective and also happier at work. So came from this very analytical world where for me, I was like, if it doesn't have a measure and you can't, if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. If it's not science-based, then we're not going to talk about it. Like very, just very hyper-rational, hyper-analytical came from a family of lawyers, like very achievement oriented, was very comfortable in my kind of masculine energy. And when I say masculine, I don't mean masculine as in man. I mean, masculine as in goal oriented, assertive, achievement oriented, like just very, very focused on getting my degrees and learning all the things and knowing all the things and then bringing those things to my clients. And um, there was eventually a tipping point where I slowly, it took a while, but slowly started to realize that I'm also a deeply sensitive and feeling person and went through a bit of a spiritual awakening and kind of moved away from, didn't really move, well, didn't move away from the PhD in as much as I dove headfirst into the spiritual world. So meditation, intuition, human design, uh, different forms of spiritual healing and all of these things. And through that intuitive work, got really clear on who I am and what I'm here to do and started basically taking those 
spiritual pieces and incorporating them into my practice so that I could support my clients better. And so some of that was around leadership and some of it was just like, how do you live a life where you're more connected to your intuition and more connected to universal intelligence and getting, getting the lessons that you, your soul needs to grow and be happy and healthy in this world. And also bringing that to corporate spaces and leadership spaces so that we can learn to work more effectively with one another. Yeah. Not to be dramatic, but I don't know if there's ever been another time in the world where we could have even had this conversation. So what I mean is, you know, 50 years ago, I'm not sure there would have been a hundreds of thousands of educated and empowered women out there with very practical training who are now trying to channel back into their intuition and their more natural gifts and then find a way to marry these and have them out in the world. But I mean, I know lawyers who are trying to do this. I mean, this is, you and I have conversations like this almost every day with different women who have some sort of practical, traditional background, if you will. And they're realizing after a certain age or, or amount of experience that they've been burying parts of themselves for too long. And they're looking to integrate those two things. Oh my gosh. It's so true. One, I think also so much of it was about, I, I I've noticed a big trend in this since the beginning of COVID and after COVID where a lot of these things where I think before, for a lot of us, this, there was sort of this like inner pull towards sort of saying like, this can't be it. There's gotta be something else here. Like there's a, like I'm, I'm, there's some kind of unsettled feeling that we, I mean, at least I will say I spent a long time not giving voice to, and now enormous amount of time that we've all had to go inward and introspect and be still and silent and kind of disrupt our automatics. There are now all these people asking for it and hungry for it. And even in the corporate world where I'm like, one of the reasons that for a very long time, I didn't bring that work to the corporate world. It was because I was like, you know, the corporate world doesn't want it. So it felt like it had to be segmented. And now I think even with some of the things that are happening politically and collectively, and just like in our world in general, there's this, and I mean, you can say leadership or in careers or even wherever you are in your life. I think a lot of people are starting to really realize like the, the way the status quo in terms of the way we've been operating has, is not actually going to get us where we want to go. And that the, now there's this hunger to get into a larger conversation about meaning and like why we're here and how we connect with each other more effectively and how we actually allow more of ourselves to be present in those connections. I mean, there is for me, I can tell you that. And, and one of the words that comes up for me when I think about this and when we, when we have conversations like this is I want to live a fully integrated life. And that hasn't always been the case. So integrated means whole, means pieces together, right? And I mean, even this podcast, Lauren, represents that for me. So what I mean by that is I have always had a wall between my creative side and my professional side. And I have made a living now for 20 something years in the corporate world in my masculine energy all the damn time. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I started the podcast, you know, that was creative and it was fun and it was really the real me and bringing a lot of energy to things. Okay. I'm laughing, you guys. I'll edit this out, but my husband just walked in in the middle of our interview to say goodbye to me before he left. So anyway, sorry if this sounds weird and bumpy. That is why. But the long and the short of it is for years and years and years, I was embarrassed if anyone I worked with ever found out that On Air with Ella was me. Yes. But now it is extremely important to me that I show up as my 
whole self. And it's weirdly vulnerable, Lauren, to do that, whether it is, you know, this sounds so stupid, but I'm posting about personal development on LinkedIn, which is my very professional space. So people are starting to put two and two together and I'm revealing more of myself in a public way. And it feels so much more right and so much more integrated, but it feels weirdly vulnerable. Can you identify with that? 1000%. And it's funny because I keep saying up until this point, and it's not not as though we all have had this mass, you know, actually, well, you could argue that maybe we've all had this mass awakening, but we're not like all agreeing, like now is the time for us to be showing more of ourselves. But I think a lot of people are kind of going through this experience of we've kind of lived life in this way where in certain places we put on these masks, you know, whether it's career or something else, right. At my job, I put on my career mask at my, in my, with my family, I put on this mask with my friends. I put on with this friend and with that friend. And there's this kind of bifurcation of where we allow ourselves to show up fully. And I think there there's inevitably this tipping point where it starts feeling really uncomfortable and you kind of get this, like, is it really, I don't really know if I want to be like this. And so you, there's this fork in the road where you can either either say, okay, I'm going to tape the mask on tighter or what does it actually look like if it's all of me? And that's a really scary conversation because I think one of the reasons we don't do that is that that is ultimate vulnerability. If people reject, at least if people reject our professional persona or that persona that wasn't necessarily us, there's some distance that wasn't really us. So it didn't really hurt, but when it's actually ours, it's like, oh my gosh, ow, like that is, that is the thing that I care most about. That is who I am at my core. And I showed you that and I let the, and so if that's now no longer compatible with you, then that hurts that much more. Tell me the story that just popped up for you. Yeah. So one of my first clients, uh, or executive coaching clients was an artist on the side and, uh, worked at a really grueling job. And so one of the things that I remember her saying was that when feedback would come in, that was really brutal on her, like that normally would have rustled her. She was able to go like, I'm not, you know, I'm just here to pay the bills. I'm an artist. So it was this, this ability to kind of detach and distance and, and maintain this level of objectivity. It ended up being kind of a superpower and an, and an asset. But when you then talk about what you then see is, okay, if you shift into your artist persona, that's even scarier because that is, that is you. So it's harder to release music. It's a lot easier to just be like, I'm playing this role. Cause it's not really me. Have you had that experience with like, as you've kind of gone through your, your transformation and growth of like, of integration? Yeah. I mean, this space is so authentically me, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't come on the air and talk about every single detail in my life, especially if it involves other people, but everything I talk about is 100% me exposed. It's, it's very vulnerable, but this community feels like my friends, like we f- you know, it feels like a safe space. And so I've never had any trouble turning on the mic and talking to my friends, but exposing that to people that I work with, where I make a living in the business world, where I'm very much in my hard driving energy all the time, that combination feels uncomfortable. But what I love about it, because this is new for me, I'm a baby in this environment. What I love about it is... (laughs) Okay. It's still scary. That's actually the number one feeling, but Mm -hmm. number two following closely behind is this feeling like I can do anything. Meaning, you know, I would literally do speaking gigs, Lauren. And one was as Elizabeth Lucas Averett and the other was as on air with Ella. And now I'm available 
to the world to say, okay, this is a weird combination, but I have a ton of business experience. I have a lot of entrepreneurial insight. I have a lot of marketing and communications expertise, but also I have this super cool, fun side that involves personal development, always challenging ourselves, self-help, whatever you want to call it. And merging those two creates my unique stack. And everyone that's joining us in this conversation has theirs. But as long as we keep all of our different cards separate and in convenient piles, we can't really see what our super cool, unique stack looks like. Does that make sense? Yes. The pod fam has heard me use the unique stack analogy before, but no one else can mimic that stack even if they tried because they're not you. So it's so empowering when we finally like open ourselves up to doing that. But it's, yeah, to answer your question, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. (laughs) I can think of different relationships where I was sort of, okay, this is, this is the persona that I let's use the example of dating men. Cause that's like very, just like being in relationships and, and be, like being in the dating world with men where I'm like, okay, I can be flirtatious and bubbly and seductive and, and like kind of go into my like kind of playful persona on first dates or on, you know, early on in dating someone, but I won't let my spiritual side in. I won't let my, if I have a faith, you know, if I have a, uh, a particular, I don't know, political view, if any of that effort, that efforting that I'm doing in that moment to Heisman, basically parts of myself and prevent them from coming in. What I'm doing in that moment is I'm actually taking myself out. I'm taking myself out. Like I'm assuming that it's a no, I'm assuming that it's going to be a problem. Whereas that actually might be where the magic is in bringing some of those things into the conversation or using my example in my personal professional life, rather where I'm, I'm working with these badass women who are just like, absolutely go getter. Like they are killing it. And I've got this part of me that's sort of like, you know, I think they're, they're operating on top of some really deep pain. And I've got a really strong intuition coming up that they that that is like their next level of being able to interface with other women in a particular way. And the more that I'm like, nah, that's too, it's too deep. I'm not, I'm not going to bring that in. I'm actually the one who's taking myself out of the conversation. They're not actually doing it. And that actually might be what they need. They actually, cause I'm the only one who can bring that. You are the only one who brought that, but you're turning the volume down on it. Exactly. And we do that all the time where we take ourselves out, but it's actually the medicine the world needs. That is so interesting. In the dating situation that you explained, which I think is so brilliant, you know, we're turning up bubbly, we're turning up playful, but we're turning the dial on thinking critically or having strong views about something or our spiritual life or, or, you know, I don't like chicken wings, like whatever you're turning down the dial on so that it does not upset the apple cart in any way is actually opting out. It's carving out pieces of you. That's, I don't think there's anyone listening that can't relate to that, whether it's in a social environment, in relationships, in dating, as you say, and certainly at work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to add in another factor here. So from a spiritual perspective, relationships are the places where growth happens. 
when we're alone, there's an upper limit to what we can actually create because we're by ourselves. There's no, no one bumping up against our stuff. And so using, let's say, let's use the dating example, right? So let's say I'm like, I'm an activist, but I'm really dialing up my persona. That's like flirtatious and sexy and all of these things like in this, in this date with this guy, but then I've also got this activist persona. Okay. Look, maybe I bring in my activist and the relationship goes sideways. Maybe we realize, okay, this is not the partnership that's right for us. Number one, first off, you being more of you magnetizes the right people to you. So there's actually a filtering happening where it's like, all right, not that actually relationship isn't in resonance. So you got to give your accurate location so that people can show up and meet you. That's number one. And number two, I think sometimes, especially for those of us who have big, like I have like a in many ways, like a big personality and can kind of come in like guns blazing and I'll dampen it. And from a spiritual perspective, what I, what happens when I do that is I'm actually depriving him of the learning opportunity of having that thing inside of him get activated and being able to look at it and go like, Hmm, what's up with me and strong women? What's up with me and blah, blah. And so I'm actually because I'm dimming, I'm actually depriving both of us of this learning opportunity that is so rich and available to all of us when we show up as all of ourselves. Well, when we open ourselves up to this, when we actually strive to live an integrated life, and by the way, if you don't have multiple personalities, like Lauren and I are confessing to, maybe this is just about like work-life balance for you. You know, maybe you're finding you're not able to be your whole person in all of your environments in a different way. There's, there's space for that here too. At the end of the day, all of this is about going inward. Like I've spent so many years seeking outward influence and guidance and direction. And, and by the way, there's, there's usefulness in that very obviously, but not at the cost of your inner wisdom. And it was only when everything from resolving and healing from binge eating and body dysmorphia and that super fun package to what relationships do I want to be in and which ones are no longer serving me until I learned to start leaning on my intuition as my first guide, I couldn't really get anywhere. And that intuition is really an awareness an awakeness and a consciousness. And you now, I mean, this is the gift you're now bringing to your profession as you've shared. Can you tell me a little bit about your backstory there? What actually opened up the door for you to start having that awakeness? Oh boy. Oh boy. No, no big deal. The thing that I'll say about that awakening for me is that it wasn't one single moment. It wasn't one single aha, or I hired this coach or I got into therapy, you know, like it wasn't one thing. It was very, it was a very slow awakening over time, but meditation was the thing that opened the door. I wouldn't have been able to, when this was happening for me, I wouldn't have been able to tell you there are parts of myself that I'm jettisoning that I'm rejecting and fragmenting off. The way that it actually felt in my body was like, I had this pull and this very subtle sense of there's gotta be something more than this. It felt like a small splinter in my foot. It felt like there was something, a larger conversation for me to be in, but I didn't even know where to start. And I kind of, it started with, um, if you've ever read Untamed by Glennon Doyle, she talks about how one of the most important phases is the, this isn't it phase. It's when you realize this is not what I want to be doing. This is something is off. I can at least trust that it's not this. 
And so at that point I was so, I think I just started my dissertation and I'd written half of a dissertation and then thrown it out because I, I hated the topic. And I was like, I'm done doing things. I think I just said, I'm done forcing myself to like things just so I can finish this, this goddamn degree. And I threw it out and two things happened. Number one is I added meditation and mindfulness into my dissertation because I knew that that was something that I was interested in. And two, I signed up for a Vipassana meditation retreat. So I was studying, it was funny, I was studying meditation. Then I was also like, I'm going to go do it, actually like immerse myself into it. Are you familiar with it? No, tell us more. So Vipassana meditation is a form of meditation that involves body scanning and deep, very much deepening and focusing on the sensations in your body. You, when you get into Vipassana, you go through these intro level courses, they're 10 days and each day you're meditating between 10 and 12 hours a day. Wait, what? You're not doing this in your home. Oh no. You like go, you can, you also afterwards go and you do it in your home. Like it becomes part of your practice. Oh, right, right, right. But 10 days, wait, are you saying 10 days of, of, of essentially 10 days of silence? Oh yeah. You, you deposit your phone. You don't have a book. You don't have a journal. You just show up and it's like, it's just you. It's just you and your thoughts. Okay. My blood pressure's already up. Oh yeah. It was, it was, well, now I, I do them. I was doing them yearly before COVID hit because they're so powerful, but I had to basically like, I was on a train. I was on a train that was barreling towards something. I realized I didn't want to be on a train. And then, so I hurled myself off or rather maybe I like hit the emergency brake on the train. I made everything stop. And so I took 10 days to just get really, really quiet. And that was probably the first time in my life I was able to actually hear myself actually sit down and be like, these things that I'm studying feel like an inherently spiritual conversation that are where we're not making it spiritual. We're not letting it be spiritual, like leadership, impact, connection, allowing people to be happy and like how they spend their time. Like that is such a deep spiritual conversation. And that's the one I want to be having. And it was the first time I let myself see that and know that and not without gaslighting myself out of it. One of the reasons it is so hard to stay still is because we spend so much of our life acting out and, you know, consuming, 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 instead of creating and scrolling and talking and overindulging and whatever we might overindulge in because being quiet with your thoughts, it's almost like, you know, it's going to be powerful. So we're avoiding it. Totally. 1000%. And that's exactly what I found when you go on a Vipassana meditation retreat. That is the, that is the fact that hits you in the face. It's the degree to which we distract ourselves from truth and from sensation because you, all of that gets stripped away. There were so many moments where, you know, I'd be meditating and I'd think of something that I didn't want to think of, or I'd, I'd remember something that I didn't want to remember. And I'd almost have this instinct like to reach for my phone or to think another thought or to get up and move around. And when it's, when there's nothing but you and the meditation, you have no other choice, but to see the degree to which it's like bodily sensation or emotional and inner experience followed by numb it, fix it, do something with it, make it go away versus actually sitting with it and being with it. And it's so much easier to just keep acting outward rather than going inward. Exactly. It sounds like heavy lifting to do nothing. To do nothing sounds like the heaviest lifting. 
what you also realize when you slow down, and this is the beginning, this was very much the beginning of the awakening process for me, because it was like, okay, I've slowed the train down. I keep using metaphors, but it's we love like, a metaphor. I'm famous it, for butchering every metaphor I try to use. Good. Cause I'm about to smash like 10 metaphors together. So that's fine. But I had to slow down and stop. And when I slowed down and stopped, I realized that the house I'd been living in was full of shit. Like, okay. <laughs> so there's not only is it full of shit, but I'm doing all of this work to distract myself from the shit, which then creates more shit. So there's that, you know, when you, when you first sit down, you start realizing it's like, you start thinking of the things that you're running away from the things in your life that aren't working. And also, this is also something that often can happen during meditation. Sometimes your, your brain will start just giving you like memories of things or bodily sensations that need to be healed and cleared out. So you kind of, when you stop, you need to, to sift through like, okay, there was that thing that happened to me when I was 18. And there was that awful conversation I had the other day, or the fact that I am not totally happy in my job. I have to now sit with that. And what's also in there is intuition. You can also hear yourself in there, but it's very hard. Like you have to be with all of it first before you can actually hear yourself. When you sit still, when you force presence, you're not just getting what you want. There's the trauma, the hidden trauma. There's the hurt that you packaged up and put in a box and shoved in the corner. Okay, no wonder we spend all of our time running. Honestly, I don't know if I'm physically capable of what you have done. I think that is so amazing. I do believe I could start where I am and use what I have and do what I can. What does that look like for people that you counsel? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the first place, one places when I'm working with someone, if something like that comes up, the place I get curious is taking note of where you're on autopilot first. So there are places like I know that I'm predictable to do and be certain ways. And it's, it's about noticing where I'm still on that hamster wheel and catching yourself when you're in it, but also consciously stepping off. One of the ways that I got through years of high performance, chasing PhDs, chasing achievements, one of the ways that I was able to be successful was by, I had a very strong ability to click in to a certain way of showing up in the world that was very performance oriented. So at work, I would be this very together, very direct, very focused, hard worker, hyper analytic. I mean, I'm still hyper analytical, but I would dial that up. Honestly, a lot of people would just call this professionalism. Probably they'd probably just call it like a high <laughs> achievement professionalism. I hear you. But I noticed that when I was in that, there was part of that that hurt my soul that physically hurt and like felt wrong. And I couldn't articulate why, but I could just tell you that when I was there, my anxiety was way worse than it had ever been. I started having, um, eating disorder symptoms. I started having physical symptoms. Like there were all of, there was this kind of cluster of things around it that I couldn't quite make sense of, but I was able to distinguish that I was stepping into, that it was kind of a place where I was stepping into a persona that didn't feel like me realizing when I was in it and actually intentionally disrupting it and coming back to myself. What did that look like? Uh, to give a, an example, I can remember this one leadership development seminar that I was leading and 
someone, I don't remember, something happened that kind of tripped the wire where I was like, and I will now like PhD Lauren is now fully emerging and evolved. And I will like go into my like hyperdrive, handle it, control the whole situation. And I could feel myself kind of going into it and like trying to control the crap out of how this, how this, this seminar went and probably at the detriment of my connection to this person. And, and so the way that it looked in the moment was, okay, hold on. Like something's happening with me on like a physiological level first. Like I can feel in my body that something is off and actually slowing down and going, wait, 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 wait. What is first off, what just got activated for me? what actually just got triggered. So when, when I did that, I was like, okay, they think I'm incompetent. I'm worried. They think I'm incompetent. So I'm going into a bunch of stuff to like compensate for that right now. So getting clear on like what was actually going on with me and what I needed first. And then from there, I was able to get really clear. I'm like, okay, the thing I actually am concerned about is my relationship with this person. How do I, like, once I get deep enough, it's like, what is this actually about? Like what's actually going on here? And then I can make a different choice in that moment. So rather than going into performance, I'm going to get more connected to this person. It's kind of a combination of knowing, knowing yourself well enough to know what your automatics are and how you protect yourself, noticing when they get activated for you and getting curious, forgiving yourself for having that thing in the first place, and then making a different choice. And I've got more to say on that too, because I know that your question was like, how do we do this without going 10 days in the woods? Wait, did I just learn that these 10 days were in the woods? Yeah, it was. It's also yeah, in just, the woods. For that reason, I am out. It was also in the woods. I mean, the other thing the audience is probably thinking is why the heck would I ever sign up for that? That sounds like hell. We're meditating for hours a day, starting at four o'clock in the morning. Like, why, why would I ever do that? But in all seriousness, there are so many big and small ways where we can start dialing in. And I keep using that Mm -hmm. language, but it's sort of like, it's kind of because I just had an epiphany about it and realizing that so much of our coping and our distraction and our acting out is plain and simple, a resistance to dialing in. And so when you think of it that way, I mean, it's a spectrum. There's a lot, there are a lot of big and small ways to do this. Let's talk about some. So Mm -hmm. I'll share one. I move based on what my body says that day. (laughs) And so today's a great example. It's raining. It's actually very nasty here today, but I'm rested. My legs are rested. My body wanted to go for a run. Now my mind, absolutely no deal. It's raining. Like it's raining. Do I need Mm -hmm. to say anything more? (laughs) And my body was like, you, you need this. You want this. And I went and not only did I run my route, but I tacked on a little extra. I was like, who am I? I tacked on a little extra because I felt so good. Now, by the way, two days ago, my whole movement that day was I walked my dog twice. (laughs) That was it. So, so please don't get the impression that I wake up every day and I'm like, I'm going to go run in the rain and I'm going to double my run. No, what my whole point is I dial in to determine what movement I'm doing that day. And I say this as a, as a triathlete in training, but if, if I don't feel it, I don't do it. Yes. There are so many places where we're handed models of like, this is what it looks like to be a professional. This is what it looks like to take care of your body. This is what it looks like to be healthy. In so many ways, we're taught to go out first. And it's about building the capacity to go in first and to go, wait, 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 hold on. 
what is my body actually telling me I need today? Maybe it's telling me I need to curl up with a book on the couch. Maybe it's telling me that at work, I need to focus more on creative work rather than face-to-face client work, but actually short-circuiting that part of you that tells you that you're not allowed to do those things and actually prioritizing and being honest with yourself about what that is, what those things actually are that you actually need. Okay. What if I have a J O B? What if I go to an office or a place of business on the regular and I have a boss and I have traditional hours and I can't go away for 10 days. Can Mm -hmm. I still work intuitively? Of course. No, you can't Ella. Um, Yes, of course, of course you can. It is 10 days in the woods or nothing (laughs) or nothing. That's the only, that's the only way. The first thing I would say is first, you've just got to really practice listening inward. You've got to be clear on what signal you're kind of tapping into because when we go inward also, when we are like, wait, what do I want? What's inevitably going to happen is you're going to think of what your whole family wants or what everybody, all your kids need or what your boss needs. Or we, before we even really get there, there's so much that gets collapsed in with what do I want that sometimes we can't actually tell what is true for us. So that's where some of that inner work of like, okay, hold on. Is this mine or is this someone else's? actually asking that question of, is this really mine and tapping into what is really true for you. And usually, you know, that you you're going to get there because it ends up feeling calm and steady and solid. It might be scary, but it's going to be a deeper knowing of, okay, I need today. I actually need more today. I need more rest today. I need more whatever. So dialing in that ability to listen in asking, is it mine or is it not mine? And I think other things in terms of with our jobs, it's like, okay, so what flexibility do you have? Where can you add in flow or flexibility? Sometimes if we go, if we go deep enough, it might not be like, I need to go to Bali. Like, okay, why do you need to go to Bali? I want to go to Bali because I want to feel free and alive. Cool. What will make you feel free and alive today? What's one thing you can do to make you feel free and alive today and to prioritize that thing for yourself? This makes me think of the control influence adapt model where you're like, okay, where do I have control over what things do I have influence if not control? And then where do I need to adapt? So perhaps you're living a life right now and you're, we'll keep, we'll stay on the job as an example. And your job is you are there from eight 30 until five 30 every day. And that is not something you have control over right now. And it's not something that you even feel that you have influence over right now. So you're going to adapt. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. What does adapting look like? And in that adapting, what do you have control over and where do you have influence? And so some examples, just I'm thinking of tiny examples, Lauren. So just humor me for a minute, but everything from how you calendar items, if you're working from home and you just cannot turn that damn camera on one more time, can you create an environment or suggest this to your team or to your boss or to whomever and say, can we have a no camera day card? And like today I'm playing my no camera day card. That is a tiny, tiny, tiny thing that should be something most of us are comfortable having a conversation about or suggesting. And is that one small way that we can influence even when we don't have control. And another example is how you structure your day. So I believe in my calendar way more than my to-do list. So if it's not in my calendar, it's not happening. So can you block a half hour that's just for you? Do you realize that you can block your own time? You can schedule appointments with yourself. 
can you create a half hour slot on your calendar where you sit and think and don't look at a screen or you go for a walk, et cetera? Do you get the idea? Do you have any other just like super small examples, Lauren? Oh my gosh. Yeah. One of the most radical, one of the most powerful things I ever have received in terms of a tip was something I received. I was in a women's it was an intuition group three years ago. So it was a bunch of, it was a very woo woo, like we're meditating, like, and all of these really fun things. And they brought in a guest speaker who was a, uh, a sex coach or rather like a, a pleasure coach who also focuses on sex and embodiment and our relationship to our bodies and all these really cool things. And she was talking about bringing in pleasure everywhere. And it completely rocked my world because one of the things she said was, Hey, when you're sitting at your computer and you're working all day, how are you holding your shoulders? Do you have music playing in the background? Do you have a, an oil diffuser going? And since then I've become this person who when I'm at my desk, I'm like, how am I holding my shoulders? Like, does this feel good? Does this feel good to me? It doesn't have to be like orgasmic level feel good, but yes, even ask your coworker for a massage you ask your coworker for, or an orgasm. Don't do that. Definitely don't do that. But Taking a look at where you can inject those things in is really, really powerful. An additional thing, and this is something, the accessibility of this will depend a little bit on what you've got going on at your work. But for me, one of the things I've started doing is allowing myself to challenge the assumptions that I have about what my workday is supposed to look like. We're handed a eight to six, nine to five, what, whatever your particular schedule is with this assumption of like, this is the way that it's supposed to work. Most of us then chameleon ourselves and are kind of like, I will now force myself to be this way. And I just have to deal with it. And actually one of the things you can look at is, okay, how do you want to manage your time? How do you want to flow through your day? What are your personal rhythms and needs throughout the day. One of the things that I've loved and we, we've talked, I know we've talked about is cycle syncing. We definitely need to tell everybody about cycle syncing. <laughs> so one of the things I've done in my own business is I've noticed, and actually there's a, there are lots of professionals who do this work, like who, who you can, we can actually, we can link out and everything. But one of the things I've even noticed in my, in my own business, and I noticed this before I even knew this field kind of existed was that I very predictably the week before my period would hate everything. Weird. <laughs> Weird. So strange. So surprising. But if I had clients that week, I'm like, I'm going to resent them. I'm going to want to light my house on fire and move away. And I don't want to do anything. And uh, any obligation I have, I'm going to resent the crap out of. Like, I just knew that that was coming. So I'm looking at this point, I find, um, man, I'm going to need to find, I should have had her name in front of me, but there is a whole host of professionals who focus on supporting women in cycling and structuring their days and months and their calendars around their hormonal fluctuations. And I know that if you're listening, this is going to sound like the wooest stuff. No, I mean, I just know there are people who wish I would do that. Who what? Who wish you would do that? Ella, please stop meeting with us the week before your period. We don't By the way, only the period holder is allowed to make these jokes, just for the record. (laughs) No vagina, no opinion. That's right. It's like, do not talk to me about my menstrual cycle. (laughs) Okay. So, so can you tell us, like, if we zoomed out to 30,000 feet, like generally what's the spirit of that? Give me like the, the one-on-one. 
Totally. There's this woman who started this whole franchise around this concept. It probably started with people before her, but her story was really interesting because she said that she's, so she was a saleswoman, but she was like a pretty successful salesperson. And she started getting into metrics in terms of when she was making most of her sales. She notices that when she looks at her sales volume, almost all of it is condensed around ovulation. So she's like, you know, doing her thing and working. And then there's this huge spike in her sales right around the time that she ovulates. Looking deeper into this, one of the things that you see is that at different cycles of our hormones, we have different superpowers that kind of move through. So days one through ovulation, whenever that happens for you. So days one through 14-ish, 12 to 14-ish. And you can, by the way, like use different apps and there are different ways that you can track when you ovulate. But one through ovulation is your follicular stage. And that is when, so you have a, that's your inner summer. It's when you have a lot of energy and you might experience after, you know, it's like right after your period ends, you feel really good. You feel really like spelt your body. You just kind of feel like sexy and and energized. And you have a lot of energy at this point to get things done. And you might have a little bit of a tendency to overcommit. So one of the the caveat, the things I know here is in the week, right after my period, I have an urge to be like, yes, I'll do that for you. I'll say yes to everything. And then later on, I'm like, who the hell said yes to that? I want to know who signed me up. And I'm like, oh, jokes on me. It was me. But so doing in that first phase, things like rolling things out, actually executing on things, getting things moving, uh, face-to-face meetings or meetings with people. A lot of the more high energy work is really, really great. That first week in your, in your period. Same thing with physical fitness. I know like physical fitness. What is it? 1980. Yeah. Um, But That is, you know, according to people who know a lot more than I do, that is the best time to like hit it hard, do your much harder workouts. Again, if you're listening to your body, your body will probably tell you this, but what you're saying, how can it be woo if it's very, very true with a bunch of data behind it in, in these other arenas? Exactly. I think people think of when we think of our periods, it's like, or when we're syncing up with our periods. So many of us think of like, I don't know, a woman in a moo like dancing in the moonlight or something. And yes, there are plenty of women in moo dancing in the moonlight talking about like their moon cycle or whatever, but, but there's also a very real science behind it where our relationship with our hormones and our bodies is like one of the most powerful ones we have as women and being able to understand when certain hormonal seasons are moving through, we can actually like be even I mean, I don't want to make it about gender, but like more effective than men in some ways, because we actually understand our inner climate and how to utilize it. So high energy first week ovulation, which is only about three days is the more of the things that involve charm kind of like sales, uh, more of those face-to-face conversations. You're going to notice that like, you're feeling yourself a little bit more, anything where you can really utilize that, that confidence. And then After that, you move into your luteal phase where some people will experience a little bit of a drop in energy and kind of more, more inward energy. That's when it's more time to reflect, start doing creative work. And that intensifies as you move into your period. So for me, three days before my period and two days, the first two days of my period, I know that that is when my energy is the lowest. And so I give myself permission to not take client calls and to just do creative work. I'm doing content creation. I'm reflecting. I'm sitting with where my clients are at. I'm thinking about what they're up to. I'm thinking about what I need to shift in my own space 
to better support them. And I'm like usually in sweatpants and on the couch. And there are also variations of that that I think you can do. Like, I mean, even for you, Ella, with your with your job, I know that this isn't necessarily something that you do, but what could you do? What do you see as a possibility to um, integrate that with more of a traditional nine to five? Yeah. And I have never thought about that before. I think that my first response would be to truly, truly answer the question. Okay. Well, where do I have control and where do I have influence? And there's a whole bucket called adapt where I don't have either of those things. And those are the things I wouldn't be able to touch. You know, there are some things that can't be canceled, even though all I want to do is, you know, wear my hoodie and not talk to anybody, but I have a calendar that is open to people who self-schedule. I'm obviously in charge of what the Mm. calendar availability looks like. Invariably there there's like this three or four days a month where I don't want to talk to, and I don't want to talk to anyone, including the people I live with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what on earth am I doing? Leaving that those four days open on the calendar. This never occurred to me, literally never had this thought before. (laughs) Totally. That's so normal too, because I, this same three or four days a month, I don't feel good. We just go, okay, well, I need to just, I need to just push through. And and if we can't, or even, can I say the thing about canceling? So we, we, we rescheduled this. We were supposed to record this earlier on for those of you who are listening. This call that we're having right now, right now. And Ella, you were like, so, so gracious and thoughtful about that. And a little, if I might say a little embarrassed. And I was like, no, this is awesome. This is awesome. Own what you need. Because I think that inner shame around, Hey, this is actually where I am and what I need right now is so ingrained in us that it has us not ask for the thing that we need. So that when I see a woman do it, I'm like, yay, let's throw a party. Cause it's so, it's so important. Okay. So a bell just went off in my head. That's another thing that I have control and influence over. And that is when someone does that to me, cause you were so gracious. I basically said to Lauren in my hoodie, I was like, Lauren, I won't be able to deliver the best show today. And I would not cancel an interview, you know, with someone I don't know and don't have a relationship with, but because we have trust between us and we have a relationship, I can go ahead and tell you, I can't deliver as promised today. And you were so gracious and actually pointed out that I don't need to be mortified by this. I should be acknowledging what it was. And that was very gracious and kind of you. But you know what I can do is I can be the you in that, in another situation. Yeah. You know, so if I have dinner plans with somebody and they're like, can I just be honest with you? It's a hoodie day for me (laughs) as a metaphor, as a euphemism, um, then I can just be gracious and kind and not take that personally. Y'all can't see me, but I'm like dance. I'm like throwing up. We're doing doing wiggly arms. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, because, okay. So this is also, this is so important too, because when we give ourselves space and permission to have our own needs. It allows us to give other people space and permission to have theirs because I'm sure Ella, like you've had this experience before where if you aren't taking care of your own needs and someone else cancels on you or is like, I'm really tired. I don't think I can. Oftentimes then we end up resenting that person thinking that, okay, like there's some judgment of how they're showing up. And really what it is, is they're actually reflecting to us that we're not giving adequate space for our needs. 
Have you seen Atlas of the Heart? Have you watched the Atlas of the Heart, Heart documentary? No, I haven't seen it yet. It's all good. But she, Renee Brown, the most, one of the most powerful things, like if you just look up this one YouTube clip where she says, she says, I spent the better part of my clinical experience thinking that, uh, oh, you know what I'm talking about? That resentment is anger. And that resentment comes from the anger family. And it does not. It comes from the jealousy family. It's envy. 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 It's envy. So if I resented Ella for canceling a call, which I didn't, by the way, but if I did resent you for canceling a call, that's not an alarm bell that I'm mad at you. That's an alarm bell that I'm envious of you, which means there's something that I wish I had that you are reflecting to me. There are so many areas in your life where this, where this can come up. I'll give you, I'll give you like a, what will feel sort of like a trivial example. But back in the day, I had this one friend who would get annoyed with me when I would go for a run. (laughs) And it was the weirdest thing. It wasn't that she needed to spend time with me. It was that she was just weird if I went for a run or went out to exercise. Okay. And I asked her about it once. I said, I know this sounds so weird. Am I projecting something on you? But, but of course (laughs) I was like 23. So I probably said it way different than that. In the moment, she was a little defensive and it was kind of, kind of a big fat nothing. Later, she said to me, I realize I'm not doing anything to take care of myself. I don't feel good in my body. I'm not exercising right now. And I'm just resentful because I'm not doing, I'm seeing you do what I want to do. And I have to think of all the areas of my life where I do that to other people. Cause I just used an example where, you know, I conveniently use an example where (laughs) I wasn't the resenter, but I can think of half a dozen where you think you resent something because of what they are doing and what it is taking from you, but it really represents a need of yours that you're not feeling. Mm-hmm. So where in your life are you feeling resentment and thinking it's anger? And if you keep digging in and dialing in, you might find a message for yourself in that. Okay. I know we need to start wrapping this up, but I feel like we could keep talking for three hours. There's literally, I have three more hours of content in my head at least. I think. <laughs> okay. I do want to ask you one more question before we wrap up for today. And then can we just agree in front of everyone that we will have these conversations again? Yeah. 1000%. Yeah. Okay. This is a little bit of a pivot, but wanted to ask this question of somebody for a long time. And let me think of the way to say it. The, the question I want to ask you is how do we know when we need a coach and how would you even describe that? My first part of the answer to that is, is a little irreverent, which is that no one needs a coach. And actually, this is the part I'll get real fiery about. Any coach who makes you feel like you need them, run. Because, and I think this is the thing with how we are as humans. If you are committed to growing, you're going to grow. If you're committed to being on your path, like you're going to, it. life will continue kind of happening for you. And your job is really just to stay present. So you don't actually need a coach. And in many ways, having a coach is absolutely a luxury. It's an additional way of, of investing in yourself. It is somewhat optional. It's supposed to feel kind of like this self-investment kind of thing. If it's from a place of need, you're going to have wacky energy around it. Like you, you do not need anyone. So I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind because, because also the internet is, is like the wild, wild west. And there, there's no shortage of people who will look at you and say, you need this thing and you don't. So one of the things with coaching is that coaching when it's at its most powerful relates to you as whole and complete and on your journey. What coaching really then becomes about is is about giving you a space to deepen that learning and expand that learning. So let me tell you what I mean by that. So number one, having someone who can hold space for you to go perhaps deeper than you would on your own and to add other perspectives 
on your learning journey. The coach is someone who's going to be able to look at you and listen to what, what's going on for you and reflect things to you in a way that you might not necessarily see. They can sort of stand outside of what's going on for you and support you from an outsider's perspective, rather than knowing all of the details of your life and being able to give you X, do X, Y, and Z. As a coach, I have an ability to support you in seeing where you are clearly so that you can make the right choice for you, not me. And then the other thing I would also say is that this is the woo-woo answer. You just know. And I see a lot of people in this space who will just hear a coach talk or they'll, they'll interact with a professional in some capacity. And they just know I need to work with this person. I don't know why, but I just need to work with this person. And it's often not very logical. Listen to that. That is actually where the magic happens. And once you're in that relationship, it really becomes about, as I said, about kind of being able to reflect different parts of yourself to you, having a partner in your growth and development, but not needing them. And the last thing I'll say is a coach by standing outside of where you're at is going to be able to disrupt that automatic so that you can create unpredictable results, things that people wouldn't necessarily have anticipated that you would be able to do. I really appreciate your candor there. That was a self-indulgent question. I don't know if anyone else had it, but I did. So thank you so much. Lauren, before I let you go, tell me one thing you're loving right now that you want to share with everybody else. Okay. So medicinal mushrooms. I have been obsessed with this recently. I went to this store. Wait, hold it up so I can see it and we'll tell everybody what this is. Yep. It's called okay, what is it? Forest Folk Fungi Equanimity Elixir. Okay. Let me tell, let me describe this. It's a small brown jar of with a dropper on top. Yes. And it has reishi. It's got two types of reishi, reishi mushroom and, and hemlock reishi, and then holy basil and rose petals. I don't normally take mushrooms in this capacity, but I was shopping with a friend and ended up in this really cool, like plant medicine store and was like, oh my goodness, this looks really cool. And I bought it. Mushrooms are just like one of the most powerful things in the entire, like we could do an entire conversation just on that. But this, my experience of using this is that it just chills me the hell out without making me tired. Okay. I have so many questions. (laughs) I won't ask any of them, but we will do two things. One is, (laughs) but I will definitely get the brand and link to it for everyone. So you can see what Lauren's talking about. But Lauren, when you say I don't normally take mushrooms that some people are thinking that it's a psychedelic. Yeah, it's not. It's they're medicinal mushrooms. There, there are hundreds of thousands of species of mushrooms. It's crazy. Some of them will kill you. Some of them will make you high and some of them will heal you. Um, reishi is one that has been used for like stress reduction and kind of supporting your body in stress and helping you become more calm and clear helps with adrenal fatigue. Yeah. Adrenal fatigue. It is like absolutely magical. And they have other, you know, like there's so many other types too. Like you can take some that help with memory and mental acuity. And this is just formulated with some other herbs. So you're not going to feel high from this or anything. It just helps your body manage stress more effectively and calms you down in the moment. I need to do an entire show on plant medicine. You do. Yeah. I'm going to one in July. I'm going to an ayahuasca in July, so I can, I can also talk to you about that. We are doing the post ayahuasca conversation promise. I would love to, I would love to talk about that. Okay. Well, as you can tell my dear, lovely listener, uh, Lauren and I could just keep talking and probably (laughs) will, but if you got anything out of this conversation, let me hear from you. And then I will use your feedback to beg, borrow and steal Lauren and get her back on the show. Hey, Lauren, where can people find you? 
So my LinkedIn is the place where I create content and post things. And um, that's a really great place to connect with me. Or if you're more into kind of light, more fluffy and personal content that is a little bit lighter, but less professional perhaps is uh, Instagram. So I'm at Dr. Lauren Borden and would be happy to connect with you there. Lauren, thank you so much. It's been such a joy talking to you. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and links at onairella.com. There's no with. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.